What time? Sorry, four o'clock. <laughs> I hope to be home by four. Uh, what, 11, what? No, we won't go to 12. It's too long. It's too long. Hey, when I'm done. All right. I wanted to talk to you this morning about trust. Uh, it's a huge issue. It's a huge, huge issue. I was uh, on the internet, which I don't do much of. My wife gets cranky because I don't spend much time on the computer, as I should, in my role as a chaplain at a, at a school. But I, um, somewhere in this Bible, I have a list of 30 professions, which ones are the trusted the most and which ones are trusted the least. Can you guess... Out of 30 professions, which profession do you think this year, voted by a thousand people, random people, which profession would be number one trusted profession? People in that profession. Nurses. For the third year in a row, nurses have nailed it. Hey, nurses in the room, we got two. Any more nurses? Very good. Nurses. Have we got teachers in the room? We got some teachers? Where do you think teachers come? Last? <laughs> no, you're not last. You're not last. Number three, who reckons three? Actually five. Five on the list. Um, pharmacists, doctors and engineers beat teachers. Where do you think pastors come? Well, we know they're not in the top five. Which you would think, you would hope. You can trust a pastor for crying out loud. Hey? Let's have a look. It covers ministers of religion. Ministers of... Where do you think we come? 27. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> no, not quite that bad. Where do you think? 13. Somebody says 13. Actually, we come in 14. Just behind lawyers... Public servants and accountants. We're behind them. Public servants, accountants and lawyers actually beat us and being trusted. Okay, the last ones. Who do you think? Last three spots. Politicians? No. Can you believe this? Politicians are only uh, 23 and 24. Actually, that's your state ones. Hang on, let's get this right. Federal ones are trusted a little bit more than state ones, believe it or not. Go figure, I have no idea. So what have we got? Last three? Hang on, over here, what was that one? A car salesman is number 30. They are the least trusted profession. Um, somebody else said advertise. Did somebody mention advertising? Advertising media is number 29. And real estate agents are number 28. We got any real estate agents in the room? There was a... Yeah, I found that quite fascinating. It sort of alarmed me that pastors, we're, man, we're not trusted people. Trust me. Have you had anybody ever say to you, trust me? And you sort of laughed. <laughs> oh, you were serious. You wanted me to trust you. Trust. To trust somebody. Last night we did a, a youth program at a school. And you know, with school kids, I'm a chaplain, my wife's a chaplain at a school, and you do that trust exercise. You know that trust exercise where you, where you get them and you get them to fall backwards? 
And you know, I, 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 I um, got this young lady out of, out of our, our, our crowd and I put her up on the stage. So if you can imagine these stairs and I'd here up on the, up on the stage and because she's done this before and I said, um, you know, I got her up there and I got her to turn around and I said, do you trust me? And she said, yeah, yeah, I trust you. And I said, are you sure you trust me? I mean, this floor is pretty hard. And she said, yeah, I, I trust you. And then she, she went over backwards and I caught her and I put her down. And I said, would you, would you trust me again? And she said, absolutely. Yeah, I'd do that again. And so I got her back up on the stage again and I said, this time it's going to be a little bit different. And I blindfolded her. And, and I got her up on the stage, up like this, and I had her standing there, her back that way, and I said, do you trust me? And she said, yeah, yeah, I trust you. I said, good, fall backwards. And she stopped. And she didn't move. And I said, why aren't you going? And she said, because you're still standing in front of me. I said, but do you trust me? And she said, yes, I do. I said, well, then fall backwards. And she said, but you're still standing in front of me. I said, I know, but do you really trust me? And she said, she then sort of stammered a little bit. And she really wanted to say yes. And she said, yeah, I do trust you. And I said, well, fall backwards. And guess what she did? She fell backwards. Straight into the arms of somebody else that was standing there. And I thought, that's incredible. I did not think that she would go. Luckily, I had a guy as a backup there, <laughs> just in case he did. Uh, the principal was in the room, and he was looking a little bit worried, although he knew what was going on. Uh, but she went. And how did that feel? I said, did you know that somebody would, be, would, would have been there? And she said, no, I had no idea. She had no idea that I had organised somebody to come up and stand behind her. And I thought, wow, now that is trust. Blindfolded, you know, because when you're there and you're looking, because she didn't, when she first got up there, she looked to see that I was standing right behind her, you know, and in, in her mind she's going through information. Is he strong enough to catch me? You know, she would be thinking, is he standing straight enough that, that I'm going to fall and he's going to be able to catch me? This information, is he trustworthy? Can I remember any stories from anybody else where he's actually dropped somebody? These sorts of things would have been going through her mind. And she'd come to the conclusion the first time that, yeah, I can do this, I can trust him. He looks strong enough to catch me, he's not going to hurt me. I've known that family since she was, she was born, actually. So, yeah, as a chap, yeah, I, I trust him. And she went over. But the second time, the second time, she wouldn't be able to look around to see who's there because she's blindfolded. She had no idea, is that person going to be strong enough? Had absolutely no idea. That's why I didn't think she would go. But she did. Incredible trust. There's a process when it comes to trust, and if I had a, a blackboard, a whiteboard here, I'd, I'd use it. But the first thing you do when somebody says, trust me, is you go through some information. You dig out all of this information in your mind. Is 
can I trust this person or this thing? Speaking of, of, of car salesmen, we have we got any car salesmen here? They're the least trusted people. When you're going to buy a car, who have we got? Keith? What sort of car you drive, Keith? A Toyota? Oh, 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 I like it. I like it. Why did you buy a Toyota Hilux? It's reliable. How do you know it's reliable? Where did you get that information that a Toyota Hilux is reliable for crying out loud? Does anybody disagree? Nobody's disagreeing. So where did you get that information from, Keith? Sorry? It's a known fact. It's a known fact. There might be... From, from, have, have you had one before? Did you know of somebody that had one? Yeah? You did know of somebody that had one before? So this information that you had, you thought, no, I'm going to put... So you, 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 with this information, you actually formed a belief that Hilux is going to be the car for you. Is that right? So that belief, so if you've got this information and you form this belief, you then, the next step in order to buy a Hilux, to go through the actions of buying one, you've got to use faith and trust in your belief in your information. Is that right? And so then you, you took the step because the Hilux is not cheap. There are other cheaper cars you could have bought, but you chose a Hilux. You put your faith in your Hilux. And because you went out and you bought your Hilux, what sort of an experience have you had because you bought a Hilux? Was it a good experience? Has it ever let you down much? No. So you've had a good experience. So because of that experience that you had, because of the action that you took, because of your, your faith and your belief in a Hilux, because of the information you had, you've then had this experience with your Hilux that you would never have had with, say, a great wall. So you got this, you had this experience. What did that do to the knowledge that you had? Did it, like, increase your knowledge and your belief in Hilux? Does it increase your faith in your Hilux? That you're going to buy another one and then you're going to have an even better experience? Can you see how that's a cycle? And trust and faith is absolutely paramount in that cycle. If you don't have the faith in the trust, in what you believe, in the knowledge that you have, you cannot put it into action and share that experience then to add to your knowledge. And a very important part is the process between your experience and your knowledge. Because that's where you process the information, you process what you've experienced, and you either add to or subtract from your knowledge. Very important part, a crucial part for trust. I want to share a Bible story. And it's the story of Peter. And when Peter was first called by Jesus, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 16, if you have your Bibles there, Mark chapter 1 and verse 16, Peter's a really interesting character. I find him amazing. Probably, 
I resonate with Peter because he's probably a little bit like myself. Pretty bull-at-a-gate type of a bloke. Mark chapter 1 and verse 16. I should have used my little... Here we go. One day as Jesus was walking along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon Peter and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they uh, fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. And immediately they followed him. What sort of trust would it have taken Peter to leave his livelihood? And back then, as, as, as important as it is today, but back then there was no social security. I mean, you don't have a job today. Fortunately, we live in a society where we'll help. Our government will help. But back then there wasn't anything like that. If you walked away from your profession, from your income, you lived on the gen generosity of others. And Peter walked away. What information do you think was going through his mind when Jesus said to him, hey, I want you to trust me, follow me. And you'll catch people. Hang on a sec, I fish, eat fish, live. If people can't eat people, uh, that, that's not, not much money in, 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 in catching people. Money in catching fish, no money in catching people. But Peter followed him. So he went through the information in his brain going, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I've heard stories about him. I've heard he's an interesting character. This could be an interesting journey. I'm, I'm up for an interesting journey. Life's pretty boring catching fish. I'm in for this journey. I'll go. Yep, and so he did. Way he went. And what an incredible three and a half years that Peter had with Jesus. Just think of the stories that you've read about Peter. And one of the really amazing stories is, is found in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. I love this because this would have been just an incredible experience. Out of all the experiences that you, that you see, this one is an amazing one. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that disciples get back into their boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went out onto the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while, there was, while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in, the, were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. It was about three o'clock in the morning. Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in fear they cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus says, yeah, come. Get out of the boat. Now we're talking a rough sea. 
This boat's getting swamped by waves. It's not, it's not calm water like, I, you know, like, 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 a, like a, a, a sea of glass. This, is, this, is, this, this sea's in turmoil. And Peter gets out of the boat and he starts to walk on the water. Could you imagine what that experience would feel like? Peter taken this information of what he knew about Jesus, what he'd seen Jesus be able to do. This is the first time he's seen Jesus walking on water. And Peter's the type of guy that says, man, I'd like to try that. Give us a go. Jesus says, come on. What faith it would have taken in his belief in Jesus that he could actually do it to get out of the boat and put his foot out. You know, did he just sort of put it on top to see if it was hard? Or just did he get out and just start walking? It's a bit like that girl last night that just went straight over backwards. Got no idea on what's going to be there. No idea, but I'm going to give it a go. Because it sounds exciting. And Peter did. And as he stepped out and he started to walk on the water, could you imagine that experience? That it's actually happening. This sea is just, it's hard. I can walk on it. And through that excitement and, and, <laughs> and like the waves are still there, he gets a bit of fear and he turns around and then he starts to sink. And then Jesus saves him. What an experience. What an experience that he went through in that, in that processing, that information of that experience in his view of Jesus. He experienced something that the other disciples didn't experience. But it wasn't all clear sailing for Peter. His first real test come in John chapter 6, I reckon. This is just my, my view and Jesus was starting to talk some pretty hard talk. And they just had this, this wonderful experience on the mountainside where Jesus fed 5,000 people and all of the people wanted to take Jesus and make him king. And the disciples were so excited that the time is coming. The Messiah is here. We're going to have this, this kingdom. And Jesus sent them away. And it would have been probably the next day or so that Jesus was talking to his disciples and all of these followers, and there was quite a number of them. And he started to talk some hard talk. And the Bible says that a lot of them left, and there was just 12. And he started to talk to the 12, and he says, well, how come you guys don't go too? Why are you staying? And Peter plucks up the courage to say, well, where would we go? You are the only one that has the words of salvation. Where would we go? There's none like you. So even though they're going through this real, this turmoil inside of what's going on, what's happening, confusion. Man, it's not looking the way it's meant to look. It's not happening the way it's meant to happen. But Peter says no. He's processed that, his experiences and he knows, no, Jesus, 
we know that my information says you're it. You're the one. But it gets even harder. Because they get to the Garden of Gethsemane the night before the crucifixion. And Peter's, Peter's he, he thinks he's, I'm Jesus' right-hand man. Wherever you go, I'm going. I'm going to be there. I can do this. Wherever you go, Jesus, I'm going. I'm not leaving your side. And Jesus says to him, you don't really know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking for, Peter. You don't understand. You know, you've got this certain amount of information and that's good. I love your faith and your trust in me, Peter. But it's still growing. And Peter's like, no, 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 I can do this. Wherever you're going, I'm going. And at that night in Gethsemane, and Jesus and his disciples are confronted by an angry crowd. And so what does Peter do? As they come to grab hold of Jesus, he rips out his, it says his sword, and he slices the ear off some bloke. Ah, I'm ready for battle. Take him on. He probably would have taken them all on. And Jesus says, no, Peter. It's not meant to happen this way. not meant to happen this way and so they arrest Jesus and they take him off and, and and the Bible says that two guys followed two disciples doesn't John doesn't mention the name of one and we pick up the story in John chapter 18 as Jesus has been arrested and he's taken in for questioning And as Jesus is taken in to Pilate's gate, they get to the gate and there's a woman standing at the gate. And John says that one of the disciples that he knew, well, whoever it was, some claim it was him, he knew the woman and so let one of the disciples in but didn't let Peter in. And the girl at the gate says, hey, hey, aren't you with him? Aren't you with that Jesus character? And Jesus says, no, and Peter says, no, 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 that's not, that's not me. That's not me, no. No, I, I, I don't know him. G Jesus, G who, who, no, I don't, don't believe I know. Don't know him. And then, as he's going in, another girl sees him and says, no, 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 that, that is you. That is you, you were, you were with him. No, come on, no, it's not me. No, I don't know him. And then a third time, another person says, hey, the, you, you're from Galilee. You speak like a Galilean. You are with him. And in Matthew's account of this story, puts it very interestingly. 
Because when the first person asks, he just says, yeah, no, no, that wasn't me. When the second person asks, he says, no, 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 no. And he swore an oath that, no, that's not me. And on the third occurrence, he actually swears that I don't know the guy. Nothing to do with me. Could you imagine how Peter would have felt? What's happening? Processing the information, the experiences that he shared in the last three and a half years. Maybe he's not the one. Could you imagine the doubt running through his mind? Maybe he's not the one because he's not doing it the way that I thought he would do it. If this Jesus character is God, well, this God, I, I don't really know this God because this God's not doing what I thought he would do. Absolute tragedy. I don't know, don't know the man. His trust in Jesus his faith in Jesus, it was very up and down. Because there were times, just like that girl, the first time that she was able to, to fall backwards, knowing that somebody's there. See, walking on the water while Jesus was there. Following, sharing these experiences while Jesus is there. But what happens when Jesus is taken away and you no longer see him? You no longer have that confidence that, hey, when I fall backwards, what's going to stop me from hitting the ground? And Peter at the moment's in free fall onto the ground. In John's Gospel, he's the only one that records it at the end of his gospel, he has Jesus meeting the disciples. They've been out fishing all night and, and they come back and Jesus is preparing a meal. He's cooking up some fish. They, they hadn't caught a thing all night. And, um, you know, Jesus tells them to drop the nets over and then they, they catch a heap of fish. And Jesus has already got a meal prepared. And in, and in John chapter 21 in verse 15... After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him again. Jesus re repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter says, you know I love you. It's a bit interesting to get asked the question twice, but then Jesus says it again. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question the third time and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Last night I got... The, the, the people there, they're in little groups, and I got them to ask, to write down 
five people they trust the most in their life, starting from number one to number five, in order of preference. Who do you think in most groups come up as number one? Who do you think would be number one? Who would you put down as number one? Trusted person in your life. Who would you put? Sorry, who was that? Your your partner. Yeah, that come in. A lot of people put a spouse. Not number one though. Who's, what was that one? You've got to yell out a bit louder. Mum. Mum comes in at number one most of the time. And it's funny, that was the first one a lot of them went to and then after thinking about it, they thought, oh God, better put God in there. So they'd you know, put God as in number one above mum. So God, God was most of the time number one, God and Jesus. And then I said, look, don't split mum and dad up, put mum and dad together. Other, we don't want any you know, <laughs> sort of favouritism going on here, but we all know mum would get it, right? Granddad barely got a mention. Grandma come in there a few times. Uh, siblings come in. Why do you think below God, mum would come in at number one? Why do you think the most trusted person? Pretty obvious, isn't it? There's something about a mother's love that's, well, it's unconditional. It's unconditional. Well, it should be unconditional. Because there from, from day dot, from the time you fall out, come into this world, Mum's there. And, and, you know, the moment you, you feel, a, you know, you need a bit of food, mum's there. And uh, I know as I grew up, man, I was still 20 years of old, when I, 20 years of age, when I got hungry, mum was there. Mum was there with a plate of something. It was great. It was great. This unconditional love. Doesn't matter what you do, your mother will still love you. Yeah, she might give you a flogging. Well, back in my day, she did. I mean, they don't do it anymore, of course. Others, don't go flogging your kids, but yeah, but unconditional love, unconditional love, and that builds an incredible trust between, uh, between two people, that unconditional love. That's an example of the unconditional love that God has for us, that unconditional love, that's an, an agape love. It's an agape love. And see, and as we come down, see, some people put close friends. But you know, your friendship between two friends, or even brotherly love between two siblings, it's not the same. Did you know that? It's not the same. And it's actually called a different kind of love. Filio love. See, the agape love, and see, in this story with Peter and Jesus, we, we miss it in the English. But in the Greek, Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me? And you know what Peter's response is? Yeah, I feel I are here. He doesn't say... Why not? Why not? Interesting. What would be going on in Peter's head 
processing all of the information that he has about Jesus and his experiences. For Jesus to say, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? And see, when I looked up that word, um, agapeo, not agape, but agapeo, is how, is how Jesus puts it. It means a direction of the will, finding one's joy in something or somebody. So he's saying to, to Jesus, saying to Peter, Peter, are you ready to direct your will in me unconditionally? Are you ready to stand up backwards and fall with me standing in front of you, not behind you? And Peter says, actually, Lord, I can, I can phileo you. Which means, I've got to find it. To be contented with. I'm contented with you in the relationship I'm in. But I really struggle. As we have just witnessed Jesus, me and you, I thought I was ready to agape you. I thought I was able to agape you. But I've come to the conclusion that I haven't got it within me. But I can do this. And then Jesus asked him again, do you agape me? And Peter answers again, you know that I can phileo you. And then the third time, do you know what Jesus says? He asks the question, do you phileo me? doesn't say agape again. He says, do you phileo? And he said, yeah, you know, you know me. You know me more than anyone. You know that I can do that. But I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for the... I, I can't. I'll admit it now. Before, I would admit it, but I didn't know what I was admitting to. had no idea what it really meant. But I can see now it means something more than what I can give. But the interesting thing, when Jesus was talking to Peter and Peter was saying, oh, I'll go wherever you want to go, Jesus prophesied a little prophecy to him. He says, no, not yet. Peter, not, not yet you're ready, but you will be. You will. And in that story, he says, follow me. Trust me. Peter, do you trust me? Peter struggled with the trust, the whole trust thing. How many of us here struggle with the trust thing? How many of us are ready to agape? If Jesus was here today and he said, do you agape me? How many in this room today could say, yeah, I would trust you with my life 
It's easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to sing about. It's easy to say. It rolls off the tongue quite easily. But do you really know what that means? Are you ready to go through the things that you need to go through? Are you ready? Are you able? Are you truly able to stand up and fall backwards, not knowing if there's anybody there? One last verse. It's found in Romans. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. I want you to to leave here with this verse. Romans chapter 13 and verse 15. Sorry, 15 verse 13. And it says this, if I can read it. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. Because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. What was the game changer for Peter? What was the game changer that that allowed Peter to actually agape Jesus? And it was the Holy Spirit. It was at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit fell down and empowered him to be who God needed him to be. To be able to walk the journey that he needed to walk with Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit in him. It was the power of God. Where are we at? Are we ready to trust him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just just want to thank you for Jesus. And at times we think we know you. We know how you work. We know what you do. We know what you look like. Because we have experienced you in a real way. There may be some here that haven't. Father, I just pray that we will experience you because we all have a knowledge, a certain amount of knowledge of what you can do in our life. And we have a belief through that knowledge of what you can do. But just like that guy in Mark, the story of Mark, where he says, help my unbelief. Yeah, I believe. But just like Peter, I don't believe enough. I have a certain amount of faith, but increase my faith. That I can make decisions about actions, about experiences, Lord, just give us the Holy Spirit. Empower us with this, with this ability to be able to see God more clearly in our lives, that directions will, will become clear 
and that we'll know, Lord, that you are there to catch us if we fall. You're there to lead us in our journeys. And that we can just fully trust in you and what you have for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.